on today's episode of Chapters. So I occasionally would be a little bit rebellious and sneak over into that section and read part of a book occasionally. Christian fiction gets a bad rap in the sense that I feel like there's just as much bad writing in quote-unquote secular fields. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com chapters. There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to Chapters, the podcast where we hear the stories of readers' lives through the books that have meant the most to them. I'm Mary Mahoney, and today my guest is Katherine Hammer. Katherine is a librarian currently living in Florida, where she works for the Broward County Library System. Before changing careers, she worked as a performer and musical director for regional and touring theater companies across the United States. On this episode, we talk Christian fiction, the difference between good and bad Christian romances, books parents didn't want you to read growing up, dancer biographies, reading books set in places you happen to be traveling, and much more. This is Catherine's story. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So I want to start by asking what I ask everyone, which is what's your earliest memory of reading? My earliest memory of reading are these books called Arch Books that my parents would read to me. I grew up in a very conservative Christian family, and so they're little children's books that have Bible stories in them. And so my parents would read those to me and my brother and my sister. And so those are some of the early books that I remember them reading to us when we were kids. And where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Leavenworth, Kansas. It's in a suburb about an hour north of Kansas City. Hmm. So when you, your first memory is something that's linked to your faith, did you have you always thought about reading as something that's bound up with your faith? Yes and no. It's not something that I think I tried to separate and identify as, oh, this is part of my faith. I think it's just that our, my and my family's faith was always such an integral part of our lives, that that was just the way that everything was in our life. It was somehow either the way we conducted ourselves or the way that we approached something. So it was some not necessarily didn't seem like a conscious choice. It was just kind of always there. Yeah, yeah. And were your parents, are your parents readers? Was reading an important part of your family culture growing up? It was. I don't remember my mother reading a lot when I was young. She reads a lot um, of Christian devotional books and things like that now, but I don't remember her reading a lot when, she, when I was younger. But my father, he reads a lot um, surprisingly adventure books like Clive Cussler and things like that, <laughs> which I would did not expect until we saw the Sahara movie. And he was like, oh, yeah, I read this book. Um, so mild-mannered accountant was excited about the adventure books. So where, what was your leap from the earliest memory you have of reading those biblical children's books to other kinds of books, whether it be books that you were read to as a child or the books you discovered when you learned how to read on your own? Sure. I remember other than those books, my father traveled a lot when we were young. And so he would bring books home with him from business trips. And so my parents would read to us every night. And so some of the other books that we read, we've tried to find them. They're these British books um, called Animal Bedtime Stories that have, um, it's two, oh gosh, now I'm completely drawing a blank. Um, there's Willie the Mole, and then there's two badgers. That's who they are, badgers named Dewey and Basil. <laughs> and they have adventures in this huge estate and finding a frog that they thought was like a ghost or something like that. <laughs> and so I think maybe with those, I enjoyed the mystery aspect of it. So that was, those were the next books that I think I searched out on my own when I started reading where I loved mystery books. Um, hmm. And how so, old were you when that was happening? Um, I think probably about from the age of like seven on up. Um, 
I did not read the Nancy Drew books. I read Trixie Belden, mm. um, who not a lot of people are familiar with her, but she's just like kind of, I always say, the younger version of, <laughs> of Nancy Drew. So the Trixie Belden books. But at the same time, I was very active in arts. So I learned, I was taking piano lessons and I took ballet classes and I was singing in the, in the choir at school. And so I also liked reading like biographies of and stories about kids who were singing and dancing and playing instruments and things like that. So what kind of biographies were you reading? Um, I read some, they were called a very young dancer and then a very young gymnast. And then there was a very young skater for ice skating. And even there was a very young horseback rider, even Mm. though I had no connection with horses. Um, So those are some of the ones that I remember. And then that, I think, opened the door into other biographies because I thought it was really interesting finding out about how people spent their time. And so we had a collection at my school of historical biographies that I would read a lot. And I remember the ones of like Juliet Lowe and Louis Pasteur and things like that. Hmm. What kind of kid were you in this period? So what kind of person was reading these books? I think I had a very similar personality to how I have now, which is I'm a little quiet and reserved if I don't know somebody. But then when I meet someone, get to get to know someone, then I'm can be very energetic and annoying and talkative all the time. <laughs> um, and then I was in a, in performing fields, so I was always prepared and ready to like let me play my piano piece for you, or I could sing a song <laughs> for you, or something like that. So. I didn't always jump up and perform, but I was always prepared if someone should ask. <laughs> of course. So were you putting on shows in your for your family growing up or? Not by myself. I remember, I think my sister and I, and sometimes my brother, we would dress up our dogs in some of like old baby clothes <laughs> or doll clothes. And so we would sometimes put together like a little circus act or something like that, but they weren't full blown shows that I recall. Hmm. So when you think back to those times when you're like 10 years old or however old and even older, what kind of role did reading play in your life when you think back? What was it doing for you? Um, I think it gave me a little bit of a sense of the bigger aspects of the world, I think, Um, because I lived in as I said, a suburb of a large city, but we didn't go out much. So Mm. reading gave me the opportunity to learn about um, people's approach to life or different people's lives or different places in the world because some of these mystery books, oh, with the mystery books, uh, Trixie Belden, yes, we read, but then there was also specifically like a Christian series called the Mandy series. It was about a girl named Mandy and she would discovers that she's partially native Americans and she's living in, I think North Carolina at the, in the, I want to say mid 1800s. And so she's <laughs> trying to like um, stand up for her native American heritage, but she also gets sent to this finishing school for young ladies. And there's always a mystery in some aspect of the story. <laughs> and so she traveled through Europe, like one book at a time, like different countries. And so mm. through those sorts of books, I got to see, see, quote unquote, mm. uh, different countries that I had not, like, obviously seen myself. Um, but mm. it gave, gave me the impression of other things that were out there. And did you have a sense then that you wanted to get out there, that you wanted to leave Kansas or? Um... I wasn't really one of those people that it was like, I can't get wait to get out of here as soon as I can. But I did want to see other things and experience other cultures and like see other things that I'd read about in some of these books. Yeah. And so, yeah. Did your parents ever say, Kathy, you can't read X book? Were they sort of paying attention to what you were reading in terms of saying you can read Mandy books, but not these other books? Yes. I don't know that it was specific. Occasionally it was specific. I know we weren't allowed to like read the Sweet Valley High books. Oh, so, why not? What was wrong with Sweet Valley High? Um, they were too, too worldly. 
Sure. Too. So, so too fresh, I, as my grandmother might say, too fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So I occasionally would be a little bit rebellious and sneak over into that section and read part of a book occasionally. Ooh, Kathy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so you were going to your public library at that when you were growing yes. up. You're getting yes. your books there. Mm-hmm. So you would slip into the aisle where Sweet Valley High would be. Yeah. And dip into those pages. Mm-hmm. And it was never like a whole book. I would just read like part of a chapter, I think. I don't even remember. <laughs> but it was just kind of, I think it was more, I was like, what's the fuss all of, what's all the fuss about? I don't like what's. Right. Because sometimes when you actually go and watch something that your parents told you not to watch or mm-hmm. read something, it never satisfies in the th- way you're, you think you're going to get a thrill or it's going to have some payoff. Right. I know when I was growing up, I was not allowed to watch Grease. It was one of right. the few things I was told, you may not watch Grease. Mm-hmm. So of course, the next day I snuck over to my best friend's house and we watched Grease. <laughs> and yeah. I thought it was so bad. I was like, oh, maybe they didn't want me to watch it because it's bad. Not because it's the end game is that a woman <laughs> has to change for a man in order for him to like her. But which is why Grease 2 is a superior movie. And I'll leave it there. I still but, need to see Grease 2. <laughs> like some would say you don't, but I would say that you do. Just yeah. put it on your itinerary. As a lover of musicals of all quality levels I should I need to at least check it off the list it's nice of you to say of all quality levels you seem to know what you're dealing with with Greece too so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um wow but so Sweet Valley High even just dipping into those pages and, and seeing a couple you kind of felt like maybe you weren't missing that much yeah I don't know I mean I remember reading something that it was like oh oh, okay I think that's not what I'm supposed to be reading I think that's there because I think I do remember it was a scene of I think they were in a lake or something like that and I remember I think he unsnapped her bra or something and I was like oh and so I was just like oh but (laughs) I honestly don't remember anything after that I just remember I read that scene and then I put it back and went on my merry way so but, you got to that scene, read it, knew you shouldn't be reading it, and you didn't keep reading. You had the the reserve to put the book back. Correct. Yes. And so I'm, I honestly don't remember whether it was because I was like, okay, I shouldn't be reading this, or it was like, oh, that's why I shouldn't be reading this. Oh, I'm not really okay. sure. Hmm. I, I don't recall. <laughs> but, yeah. So what books from growing up, whether it be, I guess, in the timeline now or roughly in, say, middle school, late elementary school, kind of whenever you want. But when, what are some books that you look back now and say, this was so important to this time in my life? Sure. Um, As many of your guests have talked about, um, I loved the Little House on the Prairie series because also living in the West or the Midwest area, I connected with that sort of landscape that was described in the books. And so I kind of identified with those. And so, and it might've been also a combination of the books themselves and maybe the conservative like community I was raised in, not that we were Mennonite or Amish or anything like that, but just the community (laughs) of, you know, conservative moral living that kind of seemed to like idealize that sort of approach to life of like a simpler time where faith was important, family was important, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I remember that that really resonated with me. Um, But then moving on, I really got involved with not only, as I said, like the Mandy books and mysteries, but also into like historical fiction. Hmm. Um, So how old were you when this is happening? Probably more early teens so like 13 14 ish okay um so I will say that Christian fiction gets a bad rap in the sense that I feel like there's just as much bad writing in quote-unquote secular fields and so there's a lot of formulaity to of like some of the books And so, but I compare like the Mandy books very much to Babysitter's Club books, which I loved equally. 
And so, but there was very much like a certain way that the books were the setup. This is what happens. There's the conflict, then it's the resolution and this and this, and maybe an extra little surprise thrown in there. Um, so I think that sometimes Christian fiction gets a bad rap because it is kind of formulaic at times, depending Be- on the author, of course. Before I, I think you're absolutely right. And before I, we get into that, and I do want to hear all of your views about that because <laughs> I have a lot of questions and I'm really genuinely fascinated. But you brought up Babysitter's Club and compared it to the Mandy books, mm-hmm. which I've not read, full disclosure. Right. But now I'm curious to check them out. Um, but with the Babysitter's Club books, retroactively and in the 90s when people our age were reading them, mm-hmm. a lot of girl readers would map themselves onto particular babysitter club members you know I'm a Christy you're a Marianne whoever you know yes and not just with those books but a lot of books that mean a lot to girls of a certain age like when Mm -hmm. you're really figuring yourself out you imagine yourself into favorite characters and treasured books I'm wondering if that's the same or different when you add being a Christian girl or having that be an element of the the character type in addition to just being a anywhere USA American girl right I mean I can't speak for everyone obviously but I think for me it did I think it helped it was because it was already kind of part of my identity and it was Mm -hmm. pre-described in as part of the book part of her identity it helped me to like kind of have that touch point as an anchor to be like okay yes this we're similar in this way and to kind of connect with it even deeper from that point on Hmm. um so again I don't know about if everyone does that but I think for me it did kind of help me to to connect with that on a more immediate level and when they talk about and when that is such a foundational part of who you are and who these characters are do does that come through in the formulaic nature of the plots like is faith a part of those plot lines or is it just something that informs their character again it depends on the specific book or series of books Um, okay so i'll give you an example there was a series at that time it was called the house of winslow series by um, gilbert morris and it was a historical fiction Christian romance series. <laughs> and so the first book is about like coming over, like basically Mayflower era coming to the coming to the colonies. And I loved this book. And so it was this like patriarch of the family. And then every book in the series continued in like the family tree somehow, like a daughter or a son or a nephew, and you could follow the family tree. And but every book almost almost to a to a fault um would always end up with like the stereotypical love triangle and it would always almost always have one person is the is like the woman that you know he was supposed to pick because she was like the good virtuous person and then there's the other one who's really attractive and like you know tempts him you know with lust and like all of these other things that he should not be like partaking in or whatever and so at the end toward the end of the book he realizes that you know what he he would have his like I don't know shining light moment and have a moment with God and realize that his faith like he would come to God and then he would of course then make the correct quote-unquote decision with the right woman and this would happen in both directions both male and female Hmm. and so in that sense as maybe I think at the, toward the beginning of the series, it didn't feel so like, this is the way this book is going to go. But then as you got into like book 27, I'm like, okay, <laughs> really? Let's think of another way to do this. It's just basically the story, the same story, but during the gold rush instead of the, on the Mayflower. <laughs> so I think sometimes, I think I've forgotten some of your original question with that. Um but so sometimes it's a little bit evangelistic in nature, which are not my favorite books. But I think the ones that I connect with are kind of the ones that are maybe more like matter of fact of just is just part of their daily lives. And it's hmm. just an aspect that's there. 
So the evangelical books don't really connect with you because that's not how you experience your own faith? Um, I think it's more of the, maybe, trying to think how to phrase this, maybe it's just because that's not what I quote unquote needed at the moment. I was already there. And so it didn't appeal to me because I'm like, this isn't where I am. This is not my experience right now. I'm reading this book for entertainment and I guess maybe if it were better written, I would be like reaffirming of Mm -hmm. my faith and my choice. But, and maybe again, maybe towards back at the beginning of the series, as I said, I don't remember them being as quote unquote bad, but I feel like maybe as you get later on into the series, it's, I think some, some writers get into a rut and it's, Mm -hmm. so that may have just been the case with that. But other writers have that issue as well, Christian or not. So what did those books do for you at that time in your life? Um, at that point, I think I was I was enjoying not only like the historical fiction aspect of it. So I, let, I loved learning about like the different historical like time periods and that. But I also kind of started to like, of course, I loved anything with like a love story in it. So I started to kind of like really... I'd skim, 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 you know, till I get to like some, some part of the romance or whatever. And so, <laughs> so that was, I think, the beginning of veering into that directional of books. So, yeah, hmm. but I was reading them, I think, more for entertainment. But also, I did enjoy the side aspect of learning about like history. and. Yeah. Hmm. So were you saying before that you read Christian romance? Like, when did you make that leap? Um, it, it was with, I think it's all rolled up into one. Because I think just with, just as with, quote unquote, secular mainstream romance, there are all kinds. Um, and so it's hard to find a book that is classified as purely romance. It always has some sort of aspect, whether it's contemporary, whether it's historical, whether it's um, something else. And so within Christian fiction, there are often different genres within that. Um, and so, I'm sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> when did you get into Christian romance? So oh, you're okay. reading these books, uh, the historical fiction Christian books. Yes. And when you're 13 or 14. So were there other books before... You're, you're sort of suggesting that they're all of a piece of your reading life. Yes. And are there other books that are complementing that before you get into those books? Are there other books that are important to you at that time? They are. Um, and so I think what I was starting to say before I forgot the point was that they're all kind of rolled up together. Because mm-hmm. there, at least at that time that I recall, there weren't books that were just Christian romance. It was like all the, they were books that were that had romance in them. Um, some of the best examples are all the ones that are have ironically often been in, turned into like Hallmark Channel movies <laughs> and series. So a very famous one is Jeanette Oak wrote um, Love Come Softly. Oh, yes. And so so yep. there's, a whole, there's a whole series in that of books um, where that's basically as quote unquote far as like Christian romance gets where it's a story about, you know, a widower on the frontier and a woman who's going West and her husband dies. And so he marries her so that she'll have someplace to live. And then of course at the end, they, you know, toward the end, you know, love blossoms and grows and they become happy. Um, so I think all of those stories had romance in them, but I wouldn't say that any of that, any, any book that I've come across within Christian fiction has been the same romance, quote unquote, as like your stereotypical, like bodice ripper mainstream (laughs) romance. There's always like some more storyline, I think because of the faith aspect, because Hmm. within the Christian community, that's not something that is viewed to be something that we want at the forefront. So there needs to be something deeper. So I think maybe that's part of it. I do want to say, before I forget, before we pass this period in time, um, that, um, as I mentioned, there's all levels of quality within Christian writing, just as 
in mainstream. And I am a big proponent in Christian writing and Christian music and Christian film and Christian dance and Christian, any sort of the arts. Um, I feel very strongly about it still being of good quality when, whenever possible. Sometimes as Christians, we can fall into the trap of saying, oh, well, as long as you do your best, you know, do it just as, you know, give it, give the glory to God and the, the best, your best is, is what all is required. And I think that that's, there's an aspect of truth to that in like your, what you're offering to the world and what you're offering as kind of, this is going to sound hippy dippy. I know, but as you're offering to God as like, this is what I've created um, as an act of worship and as devotion to you. But I think that should be different than something that you're putting out as a form of business. So Mm. I kind of look at those differently. I think that they're, something that's done as an act of worship and as an act act of love should be graded or judged differently than if Mm. you're like trying to present it as a professional level thing. I don't think it should get a free pass. Hmm. So that's really interesting. I, when I'm hearing you make that distinction between the purity and the devotion uh, that's driving the intention going, that's creating this work versus Mm -hmm. making something that's to exist in a marketplace as a standalone product. Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like you're saying there are some people who are Christian authors who are almost of a fan fiction quality. In other words, it's not the quality of the work itself that matters. It's the enthusiasm and the, and the intention that's driving the work. I would say that's fair. Yes. I think that's a good way to, to put it. Not to demean in any way what's driving either of those things. Right. No. Yeah, I agree. That's a good way to kind of put it in, in layman's terms. Yeah. I would, I would say that's true, but I will say that one um, set of authors that is very near, near and dear to my heart uh, within my family, my sister and I have read and reread this couple's series over and over it's a husband and wife writing team. Their name, names are Brock and Bodie Taney. It's T-H-O-E-N-E. Um, they've written several historical fiction series, but our favorites uh, were the Zion Chronicles and the Zion Covenant. The Zion Covenant mm. is set in Europe um, during um, the beginning and into like World War II. And so it follows, uh, the, the first book starts, it's a violinist who is half Jewish, half German, and she... Um, is able, she looks very Aryan. And so she quote, like basically passes as German. And so as, as she's viewed, she's able to take up the work that her father had been doing, smuggling papers and passports and money in and out of the, of Germany and Austria and Switzerland to help like the Jewish families and children and that sort of situation. And then it gro- keeps growing from there. And then that actually coming full circle back into like wanting to see those areas and parts of the world. Um, Her family has to flee to Prague because part of her family is Jewish. And so I was able to study in Prague a few years ago and it was so exciting to me. I I reread a couple of the books in the series before I did my trip so I could write down some of the places in the book that I wanted to make sure and go find. And that's, so that's illustrating my point is this couple um, more than any other that I know, um, are the best that I've experienced within the Christian fiction world as far as researching historical details and accuracy and um, really setting that scene in a realistic location. Because mm. I went there and I was like, oh, this is exactly what they mentioned. And this is this. And this is, like, of course, um, you know, the Charles Bridge and these things. But it was just, yeah, mm. they're, the, they're the two that I would give the shout out to. I love like their writing. They're really great. What have their books meant to you? That's really hard to put into words. (laughs) Um, With their books, I think maybe with myself being also a musician, I was able to connect with the books, not only on a faith level, but then also like the music level of the, the main character as a musician and several of the others are as well. And then in a time period within like World War II and the rise of Hitler. And that's always been a specific area of historical interest for me. And so I think those books impressed on me, the importance of 
doing something, even if it seems insurmountable. And if, if something needs to be done, then you need to step up and do it. Hmm. And, um, and doing the right thing. And so I think those are some of the things that, that kind of have stayed with me from those hmm. books. Hmm. Do you ever have a moment where you think you're debating what the right thing is or what to do and you think about those books at all? Like, has it gone that deep in your consciousness? I can't think of a specific instance, but I know that those books are very often, like they come to mind, but I can't think of it. I, hmm. Unfortunately, I can't pinpoint a specific event that I'm like, what would Elisa have done here? <laughs> but I kind of what wish did, I did. But So you mentioned that you you read these books with your sister. Is that right? Or they she just mean a lot first. in your family? Yeah, yeah, she read them first because she's four years older than I am. Um, so she read them when she was probably about... 16, 17 ish. And then as I got older, then I read them. And then we've both gone back and reread them multiple times since then over the years. Hmm. So is that something you both typically do that you have is shared books part of your relationship with your sister? Or was it just a facet of growing up and sharing books? No, we do. We do. Uh, we do share a lot about the books that we've read. We're geographically far apart now um but we'll very often have like conversations about the books that we've read hmm. um she reads a lot of like biographies and history and things like that now um and I kind of tend more towards fiction just because I kind of right now I'm in in more of a I need an escape and just kind of you know entertainment and turn my mind off and relax um, so we're not reading a lot of the same things right now, but um, that is something mm. that we've shared over the years. Hmm. And what was it like for you to go to those places that you read about in the book when you were studying abroad? Um, it made it even, I think, more real to me because obviously I'm seeing this place that you don't get a full sense of, of the old square in Prague until you're standing there or seeing the astronomical clock chime and seeing the apostles go around. And so it just, it kind of took it to a whole new level of not only, not only what is around the, in the world around us and which is so much bigger than we can ever imagine, Mm. but also Mm. thinking back to when I was younger and realizing how little I knew of the world then and kind of realizing how much I've learned and how different I am now from I was then with, I guess, viewing and experiencing the world. So it kind Mm. of made me a little reflective, but yeah. For our chapter's listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out Love Comes Softly by Jeanette Oak? Kathy read and enjoyed this entire series, and reading it yourself prepares you to watch its film adaptation starring Shondaland Exile, Katherine Heigl. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash chapters for your free audiobook. Now, let's get back to the show. So you're reading these Christian, you're reading Christian fiction novels in your high school years. Where does your reading life go next? Um, Next, let's see, in college it kind of took a little bit of a halt in college reading did just because I was so busy. Um, and so the reading that I did shifted to class projects and assignments. And so because I was in a program for theater and dance, I read a lot of biographies of dancers and theater performers. Hmm. And I read a lot of plays for, for assignments, but, and so that's basically all I did because I was usually at rehearsal every night until 11 and then (laughs) staying and helping sew costumes until two in the morning and then go to sleep and then wake up for eight o'clock class. 
So I didn't do a lot of leisure reading during my college years. But again, I kind of continued with that like biography, enjoying like learning about people in subjects that I was involved mm. in. And did reading a biography of a dancer make you feel as though it was more within reach to be a dancer? I mean, I'm thinking about there's that famous quote about music writing that I think it's Elvis Costello said writing about music is like dancing about architecture. So in other words, like to use one sense to understand another is sometimes misguided. But if you read about dancing, does it help you as a dancer? Um, I don't think it necessarily, it pro- I, I should probably say yes, but I don't know <laughs> that it did for me. Well, hey, if it didn't um, help, then it didn't help. No, but. I mean, I, it helped me in a sense of kind of familiarizing myself with the dance community and learning about like those that came before me and that sort of thing. But I did a specific research paper on Natalia Makarova, this dancer from Russia, and she was just so notable and so wonderful and so historically famous and perfect. I was like, okay, there's no way I can ever achieve this. <laughs> so it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, yeah, this is fascinating, but yeah, this is never going to be me. So I think, so it was a combination of something like that. And then another, in another year, I did a report and a project where I read the biography of Danny Kay, who was oh, one, of right. my, one of my personal favorites. Um, but that was more along the lines of you know, never meet your heroes because it was really very sad. it was very sad. What did um, you learn in that? What did you learn about Danny Kay? Um, I think it was there were a lot of details about like him and his mental state and his relationship with his wife and how unhappy he was. And it was it was just. It'll, it was just very sad and such a downer oh, no. and not what you associate with him at all. And so, and so for, you know, so now, you know, I can't unread those facts. And so now if I'm watching white Christmas or, um, or, you know, the court jester that I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm watching him sing and dance so happily. And I'm like, but he really wasn't. And so, oh no. Just, yeah. Oh no. So over time I've been able to kind of just block them out by choice, but yeah. Are there other biographies <laughs> you've read that make you wish you had not read them because you can't unknow things from them? Um, I, th- I mean, there were, so, there were some famous other dance biographies like Gilsey Kirkland's um, about you know, her relationship with, you know, eating disorders and that sort of, which you get a lot of those in dance, in dance biographies about that. And so those are not the most uplifting to read, but it kind of, again, gives you a, a realistic picture of specifically the ballet world and what's mm. out there. Um, but there were some other happy ones. I really enjoyed mm. reading about Esther Williams. I loved like learning about her and like, so, I mean, and not a, hmm. obviously no one has a perfect life, but like Danny Case was just the most objectively disappointing when I thought oh, it was no. something exciting and happy and that it just was not. Huh. And at that point, are you imagining what your life is going to be like when you graduate? Are you thinking about going into a career in the theater? Is that where your head's at at that stage? Um, at that point, yes. I, well, not theater per se at that moment. At that moment, I was planning on being a professional ballet dancer. So, hmm. so that's what, that's what I did next was after college, I went and trained um, with a professional um, Christian ballet company. Um, and so I was focused a little bit more on the dance aspect of things, but I how loved... was that? Um, it wasn't, it was not the right fit for me <laughs> ultimately. Oh. Um, but I mean, it was an invaluable learning experience. Um, and while I was there, I realized that I really missed the theater side of things and I missed the music side of things. And so I really was more interested in pursuing musical theater than just Mm. ballet. So, yeah, so that, and then, so after a year with the, with the ballet company, then I changed directions and went into theater Mm. and then I was there for about 12 years. So that was much (laughs) more lasting, you know, my first career, but 
So where, when you were with the Christian Theater Company, I'm wondering, and they're writing their own scripts, mm-hmm. are those storylines similar to the books that you read? You said that there are tropes or sort of formulaic plot lines. Are they, are they similar to those things that you'd grow up, grown up reading? Um, no, because these, the plays that they wrote with the exception of one of them, the shows that I did there were all like stories of biblical characters. Oh, and so, okay. Yes. So I did one, one show that was kind of, that was set in, in modern day times. But other than that, it was like a Christmas show that was the nativity basically. Or okay. then I did an Easter show that was, you know, the life of Christ. Um, so they kind of had that. Hmm. What was it like to be inside of a story like that? I mean, I've been in nativity stories too and Mm -hmm. in Stations of the Cross, which is a Catholic version of the passion story that people participate in. Um, And for me, it's like I grew up reading those stories in the Bible and then Mm -hmm. to be in the production and taking on a role or just sort of being in that physical space, it changes the way that you inhabit that story did you have that kind of experience at all I did um the first Christmas that I was there and did the Christmas show with them um I played the role of Mary and so and it's one of those situations where as actors you know we try to you know put ourselves inside the character and find like deeper motivation and you know reasons for why people do things and decisions that they made and so I know it's all kind of stereotypical and, you know, la-di-da, but it really is true because mm-hmm. if you're standing up on stage and you're saying these things about, like, um, you know, the angel has just come to you and told you you're going to have a baby, and you're like, well, how is this true that this I'm going to have a baby? And you're like, no, seriously, really, what, <laughs> how would she react? <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah. And so it... I don't want to say forced because then that sounds like a bad, like, thing but it really forced me to kind of dig deeper into those stories Hmm. um, and appreciate them uh, with these. um, As a Christian, I believe that they're, you know, true stories. And so I'm like, this is a real person. Like this isn't just, you know, some 15 minute thing that we see, like this was someone's real life and people have real life reactions to things that happen. And so it's, Anytime you see a historical drama on television or, you know, you can be like, oh, it's just a movie. But I'm like, no, 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 this happened to someone in real life and they lived every single minute of it, not just the you know hour that we're seeing here. Hmm. And so how would you react in this moment? So it did. It gave me kind of a deeper it 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 gave me, I would say, the opportunity to kind of deepen my appreciation of the the gravity of some of the stories that maybe I would just be like, Oh yeah. And then this happened and then this happened. (laughs) Um, so yeah, Yeah. I was like, no, this was like life changing. Hmm. We're Hmm. just so familiar with the stories now that we kind of gloss through them. Right. Exactly. Hmm. So when you're traveling, you traveled around the world with some of these productions that you were in. Is that right? I I mean, didn't you go to China at one point? I did go to China with one show. Um, was there, we were there for a, a month. So we spent like a one week in basically four different cities. Hmm. Um, but that, that show, um, we traveled throughout the U S for about nine months before that. So, you know, traveling on a tour bus and staying in hotels <laughs> and that sort of thing. And so sometimes that's what the, the contracts that I did were is, was a touring production. So you lived out of your two suitcases um, hmm. and hotel rooms and buses. And then other times it would be a contract at one theater for three months. And so you go there and you live in a house with all the other actors that are in the show with you for three months. You How is that? Family. You become family and friends and enemies simultaneously for those three <laughs> months and then you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always said that the actor's house would and should have been the very first original best reality television show ever. <laughs> Because it was all happening in the actor's house. Yes. Because what's the best, what's the best plot line plot point that you'd seen in the actor's house? Oh gosh. 
If so, I don't know. Um, I've had some interesting roommates. I had one girl who was bipolar with an anger management issue and was off her meds. So that was interesting summer. Um, so sometimes you have like the very dramatic sides of things like that, but then other times you have wonderful experiences where I had one theater that I was at where, you know, we each got our own room, which was great. And, but yeah, we were out in the middle of the country and a bat got into the house. And so that's one of the things I remember was us <laughs> trying to like catch or like hit the bat <laughs> to get it down. And so some t- very silly moments like that and other very dramatic um, things that would come up. So, hmm. and, and yeah, you have lots of, um, you know, I don't consider myself to be a stereotypical theater person because I don't think I'm overly dramatic and I don't necessarily enjoy dramatic real life experiences, but then you have a lot of people who do thrive on that. So hmm. sometimes you get a lot of that and, and there are plenty of, as we call them, quote unquote, showmances of people who develop relationships just for the run of the show or while you're there and then they break up. And so you just mm. hope it lasts as long as the show is there. Cause then if not, then it becomes really awkward. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Were you ever in a showmance? I was not. No, I think I, I, as close as I got, there was a guy at one of the, one of the theaters that we went and saw a movie once and then, yeah, it just never really went anywhere, but he was very nice, but he was not yeah. in the theater. He was not in the show. He had done shows there before, but he lived locally. So it wasn't technically uh, a showman because he wasn't in the show. Hmm. So I would have to say no. <laughs> Could still happen. Could still happen. Yes, but it doesn't technically, I think it categorized as an official showman unless they're in oh, the show. I see. Got it. Yeah. Fair enough. So are you, this is a show about, I don't know what that noise was, but, um, this is a show about reading. So what's your life as a reader like at that point? At that point, my reading took on a life of its own, very often influenced by either the subject matter of the show that I was in or the location that I was in yeah, or, or the people that I was around. So by this point... I kind of started to branch out into more mainstream fiction. And so, and I was usually reading backstage in between my scenes Mm. or, you know, while I was waiting for my time during rehearsal or something like that. So I'm looking at my little notes here that I have. Um, So when I was at the theater in North Carolina, I read a lot of Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) And so, which um, as people may or may not be familiar, aware, um, Nicholas Sparks is from North Carolina, so most of his books are set in different towns and cities in North Carolina. So there actually was one of the books that he wrote that I read um, that was supposed to be set in the town that the theater was in that I was working at. So that was which but, book? I think it was called The Rescue. It's about a firefighter, okay. I think. Um, but. I don't recall any specific landmarks or anything like that being like iconic enough to be like, Oh, that's this place. Hmm. Um, but regardless, so I, lo- I read a lot of Nicholas Sparks there and then started reading John Grisham. Um, so I read some you know, legal, legal dramas. <laughs> um, and what was it like when you're reading a book that's set in the place that you're in? Does it make you more predisposed to like it? So are you reading Nicholas Sparks and thinking, you know, he's capturing this place that I find myself in. Um, I didn't, I don't think I viewed it necessarily that that way. I think, I think it helped me to picture what he was describing more because I could Mm. fill in any perceived blanks with what I saw outside. Okay. So not that necessarily he had blanks or missing pieces. I just, I feel, think that I just, I personally felt like I had a better picture of like the setting mm-hmm. because I was there. Um, so what else are you, so are you reading books when you're touring too, like across the country or? Yes. Um, try, I read 
when I was touring, I remember I specifically what I was in a, a, a YA, like young adult fiction kick. So that was, I read, um, Kiara Cass, who's written like a, a series where you might actually really enjoy this now that I think of it. It's kind of a cross a less lethal for a cross between like hunger games and the bachelor. Whoa. What an advertisement. I know it's a setting of like a, it's a a world in which the caste systems have been re like reinstated. Okay. And so the, the royalties are the ones. And so, and when the prince turns 16, they have a selection is what they call it. And it's basically kind of a draft and they end up picking, I want to say 25 to 30 of the eligible girls from, you know, the kingdom and from different casts. And it's very bachelor esque, but at the same time, um, the world is less than ideal with like warring kingdoms and things like that. And so, Hmm. so I think all, I guess I don't even really know. I think that's the only thing that lends itself to hunger games. It's not like they're killing each other, but it's more of just like the universe in which it's set is, Hmm. you know, kind of dystopian. Um, Hmm. so there, and then also when, Oh, I worked at a theater in like very rural Amish country in Indiana. And so I kind of, I veered back into some Christian fiction at that time, because as I mentioned, Christian fiction has so many genres inside of that, inside of that like big circle. And one of them is there's a big market for like Mennonite and Amish themed stories so okay. there's an author named Beverly Lewis who has a lot of those. And so mm. I read a lot of that, the, the Shunning series, um, while I was there. <laughs> so what happens in a Beverly Lewis? What are what can we expect if we pick up an Amish book? Or an, a book that's set in Amish country? Right. I mean, overall, one thing that's important to say about the Amish is that Every Amish community is different from the next Amish community. There is no overarching other than, you know, eschewing yourself of technology and being separate from the world. Every community interprets that differently. And it all depends on the bishop of that specific community. So you have some communities that it's okay to use technology as long as you don't own it. But then there are others Mm. where it's like, no, you can't touch it. No, you can't have any contact with it whatsoever. You can't speak with anyone who's an English person or, you know, which is what they call people who are not Amish. Um, So that's the important thing to, to remember. And so if you read something that's Beverly Lewis, and I'm just saying that from working in two different parts of Indiana that had different Amish communities, which were so disparate from one another. (laughs) So I viewed just that difference myself. Um, so it's important to remember if you do read a Beverly Lewis um, book and be like, that's not like what the Amish people are like in my area. It's not necessarily that she's not factual with her community. It's just that that's how that specific community was or is. Hmm. Um, but story wise, I think like it's very much based on family and community and remaining true to you know, the fam- the held faith and beliefs. Um, but usually there's the, there's the, um, I can't think of the word, the, um, I'm completely forgetting this word. Um, it's okay. Fighting between two things. <laughs> Rivalry? Con- conflict. Conflict? Yeah. Yes, there we go. <laughs> A conflict between someone who's been raised in the Amish community, but thinks they might want something more that's out there. And then, you know, the family or someone else who is like, no, 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 stay here. This is what's best. So there's almost always that aspect in, in one of her books Um, for different reasons. Sometimes it's because of a romantic issue. Sometimes it's because someone wants to sing and that specific (laughs) um, community doesn't allow musical instruments or something like that. So that's, do the that's, characters typically stay in the community or do they leave at the end? Uh, it's a mix. Some of them leave and then they'll come back in a later book and some leave and they're not supposed to have con- contact with anybody, but there's usually that one kind of 
person who will bend the rules secretly and talk to them or hmm. something like that. At least and as are I we, recall. Are we seeing a rum springer in these books where they kind of wild out on spring break or do um, they elide over that? I, they do the ones I'm trying to recall these, these were probably, this was, I have to disclaimer. This was a, over 10 years ago that I read these books. Um, so I recall that some of them did have a rum spring out, but I don't think that they were ever like, you know, girls gone wild type of wild and crazy. <laughs> it was more of the, again, like I want to play a musical instrument. I want right. to, you know, at wear, my, wear at pants my, and bright uh, colors. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Just wearing pants in general, if you're yeah, a lady. I mean, exactly. what a time to be alive. Um, yeah. At my local public library, Beverly Lewis books are always in hot demand. When mm-hmm. those new books come out, they go right away. Yes. So I've always been fascinated by that and kind of wondering why do books that imagine the reader into an Amish community why mm-hmm. are they so seductive to so-called English readers who have no lived experience with it? Do you think it's because the same poll as the Little House books that you described earlier that, you know, it's kind of a, nostalgias, a, a nostalgic feeling for a different world or a different that's, culture? That's actually what I was going to say is I think it's very similar to that, like the like maybe longing for a simpler time. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think it's important to remember that viewing viewing a community of any kind, Amish or otherwise, is very different than being in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's maybe the same difference when you consider like our world of Instagram and social media. You see a snapshot, you see one picture of someone and the image that they're trying to project to you of how perfect and wonderful and idealistic their life is when it could be a mess because you only see that like what a photo captures what is I don't know like one sixty-four thousandth of a second or something like that Mm. and so and so I think it's easy to look at like the Amish and be like oh their life is so easy and simple and not really like no they have real problems too because they have like they're dealing with like daily survival with their crops or like how are they going to like you know like trade with with the merchants in town Mm -hmm. or something like that like so do you when you're reading are you looking ever turning to books to help solve a problem in your life or deal with a problem or do you purely just want the escape that maybe readers want when they go towards these Beverly Lewis books um, I think right now and in recent years, I have, I usually kind of view, I do re- view reading as more of an entertainment thing and an escape. Um, unless, but sometimes I do go through a kick of wanting to learn about a specific topic and then I'll turn to nonfiction. But I don't know. I'm, I'm less into, I'm not sure if this is what you were getting at, but I'm less into like, you know, the self-help type, like mm-hmm. solving a problem books and more of the how does an airplane fly type of nonfiction <laughs> book. So I'm more, if I read a nonfiction book, it's more because I want to learn about how something works. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I think I meant that, but also even in fiction, do you seek out stories of people whose lives are like your own? Um, hoping that okay. maybe you recognize something of yourself there or, and perhaps that's a different question, but. Um, I don't know that I'd make it, made it a, conscious choice one way or the other I think I just Hmm. I think I find authors that I enjoy um and so I tend to like read theirs read Hmm. their books a lot and um sometimes I do I fall back into the same patterns of skimming 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 until I get to the romance section of a book (laughs) um (laughs) the Outlander series being a very notable one of those oh yes yeah, what do you make of Outlander books? Um, so, um, I have to say, I've the first book I read through very, very quickly. But as the books have progressed, I'm procrastinating starting book six. Um, <laughs> I I kind of skim past like the battles and some of the dramatic trading and things, things like that, as dramatic as trading could be, you know. But I think. Yeah, sometimes I kind of just 
gravitate back to those like fluff type books because it's I'm, because I am using book like reading more as a as an escape and as a way to relax and entertain myself. Hmm. Cool. Um, so I should say that you went back to school and you are now a librarian. So I am. Books are your trade. Yes. Has that changed the way you think about reading at all in your own life or otherwise? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think as a librarian, we're very much into like open access and people being able to get whatever information on whatever topic they're interested in. So I, I think it's one of those things where it's important. I have to remind myself constantly that people have all sorts of taste in books and movies and music because we have everything obviously in libraries. And so just because I don't prefer something does not mean that it is devoid of value and that other people might like it. And again, I think value and quality are t- personal value and quality are and can be two very different things. And so a book doesn't necessarily have to be extremely well-written to speak to you or help you come to a conclusion or something. So I think it's important to have, to remember that and to not necessarily judge uh, what people are reading. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, because I find myself doing that sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. What's a book that someone's tried to check out that you really wanted to talk them out of? Um, I can't think of a book. It was a movie that someone wanted to check out today. And I was just like, no, no, not that movie. What was the movie? It was Seven Pounds with Will Smith. (laughs) I have not, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, okay. Spoiler. Um, he spends the movie finding people. I don't even know how to approach this. He kills himself at the end of the movie um, by getting stung by this specific type of jellyfish that he's gotten because it somehow electrocutes you in a way that still keeps your organs viable or whatever because he has specifically found seven people that he can donate his organs to to make up for the fact that he killed seven people in a car accident however many years prior. Okay. So that's the premise of the movie including rosario dawson he gets she gets his heart and of course in the movie you know he met her to he meets all of these people he's going to donate his organs to to make sure that they're like good people that he thinks are worth saving because he wants he wants to make up for the people that he killed by helping people who are deserving and so he meets her and of course he falls in love with her and so then there's that whole thing and yeah, it was just, I hated the movie so much, so much. <laughs> and so, yes, so I'm sorry, I digress. But I think books are the same way. You can have, but other people might be like, no, what a wonderful example of selflessness and atonement and all these things. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. But it would speak to someone else differently. So, hmm. so your job as a librarian at a public library is to just, grant access to people wanting to go on whatever journey with books they choose. And now it's kind of trippy to say that you might be overseeing someone dipping into the pages of Sweet Valley High against their (laughs) parents' wishes. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very possible. hmm. Very good. Uh, Are there any other books that that have meant a lot to you that you want to discuss? Uh, let me check my little list here and see if I've missed anything. Um, I will go on record as saying, and I guess weighing in on your the podcast debate, I loved Jane Eyre. Wow. So, okay. yes. So I will, I will come down on that side of things. Why did you love Jane Eyre? Um, I think, again, it had a lot of the elements that I connected with because it has it has the romance but then it also has the character who is very like staunch and very strong in her faith and so and so then then there's the of course she's deceived by this man who she loves you know but then you know everything turns out okay in the end i'm a big sucker for you know happy endings so yeah but yeah i i will also say there is a musical 
of Jane Eyre, which I love the music for that as well. So, Wow. Maybe you can star in that someday and <laughs> listeners of this podcast can come check it out. That's a possibility. Yeah. Um, I think those are all the books I specifically wanted to mention. Are there any books you want to recommend that you've been reading lately? Um, i trying to think. I just started a book, so I, I can't speak for how it is more than, you know, 40 pages in. Um, but one of my favorite parts of my job right now is I get to process the new books when they come into the library. So it's really great. I'm like, oh, I want to read this and this and this. <laughs> and I kind of get first crack at them if no one else already has a hold on it. And so there's a book that... Um, I was intrigued by it's called I'm not your perfect Mexican American daughter. And so I think it was a finalist for some you know, young adult. It's a young adult novel, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. It was a finalist for some book award, which I guess it did not win, but it was a finalist. So and it's I've heard that's with... really excellent. So I want to read that too. That book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so far um, I will say for anyone who has no idea what it is, um, it's about a family that who's, one of the daughters in the family has died, and so this, the other daughter in the family is coming to grips with where her, uh, where she fits in the family, and then the, you know, vision that the family has of the sister who has passed away, who was who was the perfect Mexican American daughter. So it's kind of trying to compete with that memory of the sister, but then finding out that may not have been how the sister really was. That was just what she let them see. Mm. So and how like that, you know, how their family. And the culture fits into like you know modern day America and all of that. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it a lot so far. So so that 40 sounds... pages in, I'll recommend it, but I can't <laughs> recommend more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know how it ends. Let me know I if will. it's good. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. I'd like to thank our guest, Catherine, for sharing her story with us. I'd also like to thank our technical director, Taylor, for all of her help. You can follow us on Instagram at ChaptersPod. There you'll find shelfies submitted by our guests. You can find us on Twitter at ChaptersPod. You can find me at MaryMahoney123 and Taylor at MJTThePhD. Visit our website, www.chapterspod.com, if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Follow our page on Facebook, and you can get updates on the show and join conversations about each episode with other listeners. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. Thanks for listening.